cardboard boxes. Cardboard is the currency of a food bank. Honestly, you become a really great admirer of a good box when you work in a food bank for a while. So, um, yeah, lots and lots of cardboard. Sophie Gray runs the Good Works Trust Food Bank. Recognise the voice? It's easy to make fantastic fresh homemade pasta at home, and better yet, it's really inexpensive. I'm going to use eggs, flour and salt. To if you've ever cooked on a budget, pasta. you'll know her as the destitute gourmet, or you might remember her as that voice in the supermarket as the editor of Food Magazine. But at the moment, rather than writing best-selling cookbooks or filming cooking demos, she's organising the distribution of food parcels. And she's doing it from a place you might not expect to find such an organisation, in Hillcrest on Auckland's North Shore, one of New Zealand's wealthiest areas and just up the road from some of the country's most expensive real estate. This is The Detail. I'm Alexia Russell and today I'm visiting Sophie's very unluxurious looking base which is tucked underneath liquor land off a busy main road. Hi, I bought you some cool bags. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, I'll just pop them over here so we can sterilise them with the others. I so appreciate this. Oh, and Sophie and I went to school together, just a bit further down the road from here. Shall we go and have a chat? Um, do you mind if I just quickly check my emails first because I just want to get a feel for how many requests are rolling in. So we had a relatively quiet day yesterday because um, a lot of the kaiārahi from our local Māori social services were off so they weren't able to process requests. So I'm kind of anticipating today might be a bit hectic um, and I can see I've already got five sitting in the inbox um, already and they are all, as you can see here, COVID isolating. So that means that we need to give them a New Zealand standard food parcel. So that's got to cover however many people in the household for meals and snacks for four full days. So that's a lot of food, um, particularly when some of them are quite big households. So you contracted to do this? We have a contract with MSD for the um, provision of food for people self-isolating. Not all of the food parcels we do come through this way. So we supply emergency food for people in a crisis across the North Shore. So the agencies that we're taking referrals from are people like Victim Support, Hospice, the District Health Board, Bernardo's Plunkett, Oranga Tamariki, basically any social service agency. So the COVID ones, they are just a a constant and then all of our others that we've been you know doing for years for these agencies so COVID's added this whole other level to the work that we do. Because I guess the most pressing question Sophie is why on the North Shore? I mean we would have to be one of the wealthiest parts of the country and yet there's clearly a need for your services for food bank services. I think one of the things with the North Shore is that there's been a massive amount of infill housing and a huge amount of investment by Housing New Zealand Kaing Ora in um, creating new housing and better quality housing for low-income households. So there are big new housing developments with lots of people who don't have very much money. Kainga Order is responsible for delivering large-scale developments, including affordable and market housing that are changing communities across New Zealand. Over the past year, we've delivered 2,432 newly built state homes, the highest number in a generation. 
And alongside that, a lot of those whānau have been displaced from their community where they were. So, for example, they might have been in Northcote where they were walking distance to a supermarket and now they're in Beachhaven where the nearest supermarket is several bus stages away and it's a new world. So that is one aspect of the problem. Also, the rapid escalation in rental prices has really, really driven... um, a massive amount of need. So people who never needed to worry about food before do now. The cost of fuel, the fact that on the shore our public transport is pretty patchy, so you've got to get in a car to go anywhere. It costs around $450 a week to rent a garage to live in on the shore. Every single motel and apartment building on the North Shore is emergency accommodation. The government spent a record amount on emergency housing last year to accommodate those in need. A staggering $356 million was paid out to motels and hostels to put a roof over their heads. There are just under 10,000 New Zealanders now living in emergency accommodation, including 4,500 children. So you've got whole families living in a motel unit with a tiny little motel fridge and a two-element burner while they're waiting for accommodation that they can actually afford to live in. All of that is driving this escalating need. And then we have an issue with the food prices, which is a global issue, but it impacts the people who are on the margins more than most. Auckland is now ranked the fourth most expensive city in the world to live in. That's according to the latest Demographia International Housing Affordability Report. It's harder and harder to put food on the table. You have one bag and it's $60. You've maybe got like five items of that. That's crazy. It leaves nothing at the end of the week and it's been quite severe. Just the basic necessities, like toilet paper, you're looking at then you're going, wow, it's gone up another dollar. Everything helps. People like me drop off their HelloFresh cool bags. So these are the ideal ones for us because we can sterilise them. So the fabric-y, composty ones, we can't clean those. Um, so they're better for people just to use in their gardens or whatever. But these ones for us, they're absolutely gold because they can be used over and over again. Grants and donations help more. About 70 to 80% of the food is bought. Sophie spends thousands of dollars each week buying basics like milk, bread, meat, fresh and frozen vegetables, canned foods, biscuits, crackers and hygiene products. The rest comes from donations from NZ Foodlink, Kiwi Harvest, supermarkets and Baker's Delight. Then there's the other stuff they need, such as insulated bags. Those were a gift to us from a local um, manufacturer, so they make promotional insulated like picnic bags um, for car manufacturers and events and stuff like that, and they get lots of faulties. So they gift them to us, which is amazing because a lot of the homes that we're delivering food parcels to are people self-isolating with COVID, so we can't engage with the recipient. And some of those households too have really, really limited resources or they're people living in emergency accommodation. So to be able to give them their chilled food with a cold pack and a bag that's going to be able to keep it cold is really beneficial to them so we don't always need those bags back we can leave them with the recipient which is helpful when you go knocking on the doors of businesses these days with the economy the way it is what sort of reception do you get um it it really really depends because some businesses have done incredibly well over the last few years and some are really really struggling But some are just amazing, whether it's our insulated bag man or um, I had an incredible thing happen 
just last week approached a North Shore car company called Driveline. I did not do, to be perfectly honest, my best elevator pitch on the phone because we were really busy um, and it was pretty hectic. But I heard myself saying to this poor man I've never spoken to before, we don't need a flash car, we just need a free one. Um, and he asked me some really insightful questions about the work we do. We arranged a meeting, exchanged a few emails. I had a meeting with him, and a week later, they have purchased for us a vehicle that we can use. They're having it sign written, they're going to cover the costs of running it. Just an absolutely incredible thing. And his, his observation to me was, we are doing well. Times are tough. We have been thinking that we want a way to help and support our local community, so we're going to help you. Um, and it was just absolutely amazing. So, so that happens, and it's like our incredible volunteers. You know, I often say the volunteers are the food bank, because without them we simply grind to a halt. It's like a giant house of cards, and if you pull out one, the whole thing collapses. So, you know, it, it is a sort of tenuous operation. But, you know, local businesses, volunteers and donors are am amazing. And every week there is some incredible thing that happens that just blows my mind, where somebody just turns up with the thing that we absolutely needed in that moment, or they just volunteer their time and way more than they originally signed up for, all that kind of thing. Amazing. Bunnings have helped us out over years with things like shelving and donations to our annual Christmas project, which is a social supermarket kind of a model, hugely expensive to do for us. We have Browns Bay New World phenomenally generous to us through the year, and again, significant donations to our Christmas shop project. So, yeah, most people would not know when they shopped in that supermarket, how much help that business gives to an organisation like us, because it's very low-key. This food bank operates on a different model to some others. Sophie says the common picture of people lined up in cars being handed bags of food is not what they do. We're about a hand up rather than a hand out. So I'm really interested in the problem and the the projects that we can do that actually help resolve some of the problems around ingrained food insecurity. And so while we do give people food because they need it, we are also looking at how we can change the food landscape so that people have tino ranga tiratanga over their food supply. They know that they're going to have food from one week or one month to the next and they have agency and choice around what that food is. So does that sort of spit into your destitute gourmet lessons where people are taught how to use fairly basic ingredients to actually make a meal? You know, what do you do with a can of chickpeas? Yeah, there, there is some of that. So we are gradually moving into the stage of being able to do some of that. Um, and, you know, the thing is that food banks get inundated with beans and lentils and chickpeas and whatnot because everybody knows that they're cheap, nourishing food, but a lot of people donate them because they don't want them themselves um, and then the people living in emergency accommodation with you know a two element burner have no way of using those ingredients so so part of what we are beginning to do is include some of those things because we have so flippin' much of it so we are now including in our food parcels basically our version of a meal kit with a little recipe and all of the components so that you can make a pasta dish with your tinned tomatoes and your can of pasta sauce and your dried spaghetti and your can of 
beans and a little sachet of herbs, so that does include the beans and explains to people how those things can also be used. So, so they're little beginnings, along with all of the other stuff that we give them in a food parcel. We're also looking at addressing um, other ways that you can reduce a family's reliance on emergency food. So we really found during lockdown that when people were shut up in their houses with their kids, week after week, the kids just ate them out of house and home. Every 10 minutes, the kid's head is in the pantry, um, as ours would have been as well. So for families who were barely making it through, that really, really posed some issues for them. On the North Shore, there's only one decile, one primary school, so they're the only ones eligible for free school meals. There are some breakfast clubs that run in some schools and so a lot of kids participate in that but what we were finding was that lunch was a real issue so we supply 50 school lunch kits every Monday so those go out to one of the local community projects who distribute them to school teachers because the teachers are the ones who are connected to the whanau and they see the kids who are milling around at lunchtime who don't have lunch, um, they already have a relationship with those families. So we knew in the beginning when we started doing those at the end of last year that initially that food was actually just going to go into the kitchen and that it would probably end up just feeding the whole family and we totally understood that, but that it would help in some way. What we've been really excited to see is that our, our hope that gradually over time those foodstuffs would begin appearing in school lunches has happened and the teachers were then reporting that they were seeing the kids coming to school with lunch not only that they're coming to school with a lunch that mum or dad or whoever has made so it was produced in their own house it looks like the lunches that other kids have they're not stigmatized at lunchtime by having to go off to a special food program They can sit with the other kids and eat normally. Their learning outcomes are better because they're not hungry. Um, Mana is enhanced in the whare because what parent doesn't want to give their kids lunch to take to school? And then another problem arose, which is they needed something to transport the food to school in. So lunch boxes were required because they don't have the resources or the funds available to go and buy lunch wrap and that kind of thing. So then, okay, well, we need lunch boxes. So that sometimes I think my job is to be a professional asker. Um, <laughs> so we're just constantly asking for stuff. So we have volunteers who come and pack lunch kits on a Monday morning, and then they drive them in their own vehicles down to be distributed, and then lunch boxes are donated. So we had 200 lunch boxes donated by Sistema. Absolutely amazing. So, you know, for the last four weeks, each lunch kit has gone out with a lunch box in it. Um, so, you know, it's just a constant thing. You know, the lunch kits are really expensive for us to do. So the next thing I'm doing is asking local businesses if they will sponsor a term of lunch kits. Because we have no income. We rely on the generosity of the community and grants, donations, and, and volunteers. So, you know, those kinds of programs are, the, are basically sort of the... They are the scaffolding under which we are trying to create uh, the beginnings of a food-secure community. Um, We're looking at ways of reducing people's need to go to the supermarket. I'm about to launch a trial project for um, 
a mobile social supermarket that we can actually take food into the communities that we are supporting so that they can actually choose their own food. We don't have to make a profit from it. We just have to make it affordable. So there's a whole bunch of things we've got to put into place to make a social supermarket. So how, how would that work? Would you drive a van into the middle of the Kaingaora housing in Beach Haven and just that, that, do the Mr Whippy call? Yep. That is kind of what we're looking at doing. So a social supermarket uses a combination of donated and purchased food. People pay a koha, a within-their-means donation, and then they can buy healthy, affordable food. So we're not necessarily selling it because you can't sell donated food. We're accepting their koha, but they get to choose. Um, so we're very much looking at doing that and using the uh, community Facebook pages, which are the source of all knowledge in our neighbourhood, to be able to communicate when the social supermarket will be in its various locations. So we've got a lot of hurdles to get over in order to get that to fruition. But we pitched the idea to MSD and they've given us some funding towards that because they are really motivated around ways to reduce dependency and, again, give people agency and food security so that we reduce that long-term dependence. There's another difference. No one knocks on the door of Sophie's food bank bunker. We only take agency and social worker referrals, so we are dealing with people who have a genuine legitimate need that has been determined by an organisation or an individual that they are working with. Um, So they're getting some degree of wraparound support as well. Uh, The system that we use too, because we're dealing with um, agencies and social workers, we have some quite specific information about often the recipient, so we know whether or not they have long-term mental health issues or dietary requirements or, you know, all sorts of those things, which means that we can tailor what we're giving them, you know, if there are infants in the house, if there's a celiac in the house, you know, some of those things add extra stress and tension, you know, we're hospice referrals, so we can make sure that there are some little joy bringers in that food, food parcel, you know, some of those kinds of things, so, so it is very different to the idea that you can just roll up and go, oh, we need some food, so we are supplying for people who are in a crisis, um, and and so it is very, very different to that, or you just roll up and you get a couple of cans of beans and a loaf of bread. They're getting fresh produce, they're getting meat, they're getting stuff for snacks. If there are children in the house, they're getting stuff for lunches and all of that kind of thing as well. So it's nutritious, it's free, and it's also delivered because one of the huge issues on the shore is transport. And getting to and from a supermarket. So there are people who have really, really limited resources who are having to Uber to and from the supermarket because they can't afford to drive or because they've got $30 of fuel to last them the whole week and that's got to get them to and from work, to and from a doctor's appointment, all of that. So they're weighing up where they go on that fuel allowance. So again, our volunteer network is absolutely incredible because we have volunteer drivers using their own vehicles to deliver food parcels after work or at the end of their day or in their lunch break um, right across the North Shore. Do you ever get a kind of resistance from people who sort of don't believe there is any poverty on the shore? Um, 
from time to time, people are surprised by it. Uh, and then we point out that every single motel, every single apartment block is full of emergency accommodation. And then they align that with some of the stuff they hear on the radio. And then it begins to make sense. The cost of living is increasing at a record rate. We can all feel it in our pockets. I put $20 in a week in my car and however far that gets me is how it is for the week. For a lot of households it looks like they're paying between $70 and $100 more a week just for these core staples. Look, I think for the middle New Zealand and for our low and vulnerable income New Zealanders it's going to be a very tough year. We've already seen an extraordinary increase in food costs, in housing costs, in fuel costs. And those are not going to go away anytime soon. It's really interesting, too, that the incredible amount of appreciation that we get pre-COVID. I've had people burst into tears and give me a hug when I've been on their doorstep. We got a text message from a recipient the other day because we text them to say, you know, your food parcel's on the way, please make sure that dogs are secured and you stay inside with the door closed and, you know, face masks, you know, all of that sort of safety stuff. So it's just a little standard text message. So we're not frightening people as well if they are um, in crisis um, by rolling up and banging on their door. So they, they can text us back and quite often we will get a message. So the other day we got one from somebody just saying... Thank you so much for the food parcel. I can't remember the last time I had fresh fruit and vegetables. Oh, that, that is awful to hear. Does yeah. that, does that sort of thing surprise you, or are you now used to that kind of thing? I've, I've got used to it, but I am always moved and motivated by it. So, you know, I share those messages in our um, volunteer messenger groups so that our volunteers can see the impact that their mahi araha has given because it is a big commitment. You know, we've got people coming after work tonight and they will spend an hour and a half to two hours rebagging bread that's been donated by a local baker's delight. Another volunteer will have gone after work in their own vehicle to collect all of that bread and bring it up here. Um, they're, they're not on people's doorsteps getting the hugs or the thank yous. But every little piece, whether it's dropping off the chiller bags like you did this morning or, um, you know, coming in and breaking up our cardboard or taking away the mountains of plastic we accumulate for recycling, every one of those volunteer activities helps us bring quality food to the doorstep of somebody who is in the worst week of their life. That's it for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Sarah Robson. Bonnie Harrison is our associate producer. Thanks to Sophie Gray. Kakita Anno. Ka